0: Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The word of the Lord.
1: Just before I ask Bob to come up, I'm just going to quickly ask Daniel Berge to come up. Where's Daniel? There he is somebody whispered in my ear that daniel is leaving tomorrow to go back to nepal which is it's amazing it? we've been praying for daniel for weeks yeah. because he was not well he's obviously well enough to travel so tell us just for a quick second i'll pray for you what you're doing
2: well thank you first of all for praying for me yes i've been unwell uh, for a number of weeks with the nasty infection that i picked up uh in nepal i'm good um no, we did a little test hike yesterday. We, as a family, we hiked the chief. And it wasn't quite the usual ease for me, but, but I'm getting there. So thank you so much for praying. I'm leaving tomorrow. Um, I will be uh, the first week in India in, in um, the high altitude uh, of, of Ladakh, where we have our home, uh, coming alongside our staff uh, there in the home for the abandoned kids, for the slave kids, uh, making some important leadership decisions. I appreciate your prayer for that as we, as we uh, plan out the school year um, and, and some difficulties we have with local schools. After a week, I will make the, the journey from Ladakh via Delhi. That's kind of interesting. In Ladakh it's still um, minus degrees, sub-zero at this point of the year, while in Delhi, it hit 47 yesterday. It's kind of interesting. Uh, so I make my trip from Ladakh via Delhi uh, to Kathmandu in Nepal and on to Pokhara, where we have um, so much of our ongoing work with street kids, our social enterprise in recycling, where we continue to provide training to former street kids. I have lots and lots of work there. Um, a very important part of the work will be helping our Nepalese leaders to make important decisions. Um, Something that's maybe a little different in the Nepalese mind is that you're easily satisfied with what you've already achieved. So programs are good enough. They're never good enough for me. That's kind of the motor behind becoming better, that you're not necessarily satisfied and think how could we even help the kids better? How could we um, design those programs for better output and so on? Um, After that, I will be traveling to our project in the earthquake zone uh, where we head to the next phase, namely building the regional school for 100 kids and the whole design questions that come with that and coming alongside the leadership there. So in a nutshell, that's going to be my next six weeks.
1: Six weeks. Yep. Okay. Let's just pray for Daniel for a minute.
2: Oh, my wife shakes her head. It's seven. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh, Lord, to say that we are grateful for uh, Daniel being a part of our congregation is a, is a great understatement. We are blessed so much to have him and his family as a part of us. And as he heads off again to Nepal, we're first of all thankful that you have healed him. Uh, we are now praying for his safety and his effectiveness, the power of your spirit through him, mm-hmm. as he ministers over, the, over there for another seven weeks. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the drive that you give him, the way that your spirit uh, fuels him, and it just radiates out of him. And, Lord, you have used his life to bless us and to bless many people in other parts of the world. So we pray for him, again, that you would empower him and keep him safe and look after his family while they're here and missing him again for this period of time. Help us as a congregation to remember to care for them uh, while he's gone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Bob. Come on up. Bob Trainer and I have known each other for a long time. Um, I think I was about 10 years old when I first saw him. He was, comparatively to me at the time, particularly large and powerful, and he still is. Uh, But he was walking across the school grounds holding the hand of one of the teachers, which I thought was kind of weird. I didn't know who this guy was, but I knew who the teacher was. And the teacher is with us today, too, and that's Bev, of course. Uh, So Bob and I have had the privilege of doing a lot of really great things and crazy things over the years. He was my youth leader and led me and others into places we would never have gone without it. So... It's been a great spiritual journey. Uh, it's nice that at this point of our lives we get to do some things together and uh, that it's not just him uh, ministering to me that sometimes I get to do minister to him. So, uh, Bob, we are privileged to have you. So it's Thank all you. yours and we've run late, so you take as much time as you need.
3: Okay. okay. I won't take as much time as I need because I need to have go for lunch at one o'clock. So you'll know that we'll end by then. And enough time to get there. So uh, thank you for allowing me to speak to you today. Um, James and I, I was thinking about this yesterday. <clears throat> uh, we used, to, we did a bike trip up to the Vancouver Island, and uh, we made va- various stops along the way. And it seemed like every time that we had our campfire, we had our wrestle time. And uh, we would be wrestling, the guys would try to get me down and stuff like that. But James would always come along, and he would knee me right here, trying to bring me down. And I, I used to have these great, big, huge bruises on my leg because of him coming, and he would sometimes he would run at it and just put his knee right in my, my shin here. And um, I remember the time that uh, we were swimming in the Okanagan, and um, he decided he was going to do a handstand off the, the dock. And uh, he got up there nicely, he looked really good, he was in great form, but then instead of going this way into the water, he went this way into the, into the dock and uh, smashed his head, smashed his arm, and, and then uh, we went on a nice hike for uh, the next week. <coughs> My topic this morning is put your hand in the hand, and it's the hand that we want to put our hand in. I was um, working with some delinquent kids, pre-delinquent children at the time, and uh, I I always tried to do something. One of the things, if kids get into trouble, uh, it's because they like the adrenaline rush that is there. And so um, if I was going to work effectively with kids, I needed to uh, take them to places and do things with them that would equal the adrenaline rush that they got by doing B&Es or drugs or whatever else that they got into. And so this one time I thought it would be really neat uh, because I used to do it in, in college. We used to, in Boise, where I went to university, um, in the spring, like now, we would be going down uh, the, the Boise River on inner tubes. And uh, we just would lazy around and go down. And so I thought, ah, there's a nice river between uh, Penticton and Oliver. And it would be really nice to take the boys on a nice leisurely inner tube ride, and so I went around and I looked for inner tubes, and I found this one inner tube. I got a bunch of little ones for one manners, and but I got this one we call Big Bertha, and Big Bertha was about this tall, was about this wide, and, uh, and uh, I don't know how wide it was, but I was going to ride Big Bertha with one of my uh, work boys that I was working with. And we were going down the river, and it was it was really interesting because as you went down the river, they had these flood dams. And the flood dams were about six feet over the, the water. So when you would go down the river, you would have to go over the dam, and you would have to fall six feet into the, the raging water that was going on below. And so because I was the leader, I decided to go first. So we jumped on Big Bertha. We had our, canoe, our paddles. And away we went and we went and the dam was coming and I could see the the water cresting and falling over there and and I said to the little boy that I was with, I said, Hold on, because here we go. But we didn't put anything on the tube to hold on to except for our oars, so we held on tight to our oars, and as we could see I could see the the tube going over and over the crest of the water and then it fell down and it started to go and Bertha decided that she needed to do a flip as we were going over the water. So I, we went into the water, and I found myself churning in the water. And I didn't know where I was. I, didn't, I couldn't find my equilibrium. I couldn't find which way was up. I could see the bubbles all the way around me. I could see um, the, the raging of the water. I could see the current going by me. But I didn't know where the bottom was, and I didn't know where the top was. And because when I fell, I didn't take a lot of air in, my lungs were starting to feel tight. And um, I couldn't see the boy. I couldn't see very much around me because of the, the water churning and the, the bubbles and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I, I knew I had to get out of there because I could hardly hold my breath any longer. And I I thought I kicked. I kicked. I know I kicked. But I don't know if I hit the bottom. I don't know what I hit. But... I put my hand up like this and I took this hand over here and I found the boy and I grabbed his hand and I kicked up and as I went to the surface, the, the team that was with us, they were over the edge reaching down to grab us up. Now, I don't know if it was the kick that I did because the current was rolling me around or was it the hand of God that helped me in that situation. And for my sake and my, my peace of mind, I think that God's hand was there. It was a time that I knew God's hand and a time that I knew that he, he cared about me in the situation. And when I was praying about what I should talk about today, um, I really felt a burden in my heart to talk about the hand, the hand of God. And as I looked through scripture, and I realized a number of times the word hand is used in scripture, there's over 1,600 times in God's Word, from the beginning to the end, that the word hand or hands is used, and it could be the hand of God, um, the right hand of God, hands, and and so on. And so, it it almost was like the scarlet thread through the Bible. And those of you who know your Bible, you know the scarlet thread that weaves through the Bible from from the time of the sacrifices and all the way to Jesus being that perfect lamb that died on the cross. And here in the Psalms, we see some of the hand of God working. And it's particularly interesting as you read what we, we read today in Psalm 39, or in verse 5, it says, You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have placed your hand upon me. And then he goes on to say, If you take the wings of the dawn, I will dwell in the remotest parts of the sea even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. Now, this is God with me in my life. This is what he says that he will do with me. This is what he says he will do for you as an individual, that his hand is upon you, his hand will lead you and his hand will take hold of you. But... That's life. That's who we are. But before that, God was intricately concerned about us and, and cared about who we were. And we see here that you form me in my innermost parts. And imagine God, the God who, who can take our life and the span of life and it's the size of his hand. It's in the palm of his hand. And hear this, my hands are big. I never thought my hands were big. I always thought I had small hands. Because as a football player, you have to have bigger hands. And as a tight end, uh, when I played football, um, they, one reason why they moved me to linebacker was because my hands were too small. And it's not that I couldn't catch the ball, it's just that they had an idea that my hands were too small. So when I broke my hand here, I went into the hospital and the doctor said to me, Man, you have big hands. And I said, yeah, i am being told that and my my grandchildren all have big hands too and I hear that a lot. She says, have you always had big hands? (laughs) I felt like saying, no, uh, when I turned 50 uh, they actually started to grow. But uh, um, my hands were, my hands are my hands. They've always been with me. But imagine here, here's God, this big, huge, dynamic being And he is knitting you in your mother's womb. My mom knits. She's knit me Indian sweaters and jackets and gloves and all of these kinds of things, but not only for me, but for all of her family. And I've seen her knit and and how careful she does it. I know the frustration she feels when she's missed a stitch and she pulls it all out and has to start again. And here's God, and he is working in our innermost parts, and he's forming us, he's knitting us because he cares about us. In the scripture, we see God's hand at work, so detailed in caring, informing you. Your hands are used every day, yet how much do you think about the uniqueness, their usefulness, their importance to good health, and God has a desire to use your hands. When we are speaking about using hands, in a way of communication but we use the word hands a lot in our conversation ever think of just the words that we use every day that you have the word hand in it right hand left hand give me a hand hand out hand up hand me down handshake soft hand heavy hand clean hand living hands to mouth dirty hands quick hand bloody hand lend a hand nail print hands and healing hands helping hands all hands on deck first hand second hand Free hand, hand over, hand in, can carrying hand, hand under, underhanded, hands on, hands off, show off hands, wash hands, out of hand, big hands, small hands, open hands, broken hands, hands full. So other hand on out the other hand, show me your hand, sleight of hand, overplay your hand, take your my hand, underhanded, hold your hand out your hand, old hands, young ha- looking hands, baby hands, huge hands, artist hands, carpenter's hands, steady hands, pianist hands, mechanic hands, keep your hands in, put your hands out, hold my hand, get your hands a full, homemade, made by hand, clap your hands, painted hands, cut hands, sprained hands, hands out of your mouth, working hands, marvelous hands, coming, welcoming hands. And probably as I was saying this, you probably thought of words that I didn't say, but every day we, we, we make a reference to hands. It's something that goes on in our life. But how long and, and how much do we really think about what our hands are? The hands speak of signified power and self-confidence. When God talks to us in the Bible about the hands, he's talking about us having power. Our hands are powerful and, 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 self, and we have self-confidence. In Psalm 139, the psalmist points out three things about God's hands. His hand is upon you. His hands will lead you. His right hand will take hold of you. Take a few minutes and just look at your hand for a second. And it doesn't matter which one it is that you look at, but look at the lines. Do you know that there's a uniqueness about your hands that nobody else from the time of Adam until the last baby is born, has your fingerprints? In the scriptures, it tells us that God has sealed our hands. There's a special seal that we have. A king in the olden days had a seal, and that was a seal of authority. Today we have documents that we we get legalized, and there's a seal on it, the government seal or or a, a lawyer's seal that we put on a document to signify it. But God has taken your hand and he has sealed it. He's made a seal out of your hand. And, and when, we, when we look at that, we, we, we think about all of the intricacies of a hand. Do you know that with the hand is useless without a thumb? I, 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 I'm figuring that out. Typing this out was a was a, a test in, in in patience for me because I kept hitting buttons with this club I have here, whereas I was trying to type, and I'd be typing away, and because I'm a pecker typer, um, I I would down here, and then I'd look up, and all of a sudden I was in a different line, and I had st- and I, and I had to go back, and all of this types of things, but um, my hands. Uh, worked, but they work better with a thumb. It needs support, it needs help. The other thing is a hand works better when it has a partner hand. And in a way, our hands are like marriage, are like a relationship because they need to come together. All of you right now just take your hands like this and put them like this together, okay? Notice what thumb is on top, okay? So those of you who have a right thumb on top, put up your hands, okay? Those of you who have a left thumb on top, put your hands up. And those of you who don't have thumbs, put your hand up. (laughs) And uh, there you are, Ross has got it. Okay, Um, now reverse the whole process. Reverse the whole process. So if your right hand, right thumb is on top, it doesn't matter if you're right-handed or left-handed. How does that feel when you do that? It feels awkward. Now you're right. And, and it doesn't matter the group. About 50% were right on top, 50% were left on top. It wasn't because you're right-handed or left-handed. It's because, because of a habit that we create in our life. And God wants to work in our lives And his hand is upon us. The scriptures that I'll be reading today will be from the Amplified Version, and in thirty-nine five it says, "You have enclosed me behind me, for and you have placed your hand upon me." His hand upon me, upon you frees you from sin. In the Book of Genesis, that we see that God made man, created the world, made man, and Adam was given one command. Only one command, that's all he had. We have ten commands, like kind of like our ten hand, fingers. One command for each finger. And, and God says to him, you've got one command, and that is, is that you may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree in the garden, but only from the tree of the knowledge, recogn, recognition of good and evil, you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. Most of you know what happens next, that uh, the woman Eve is approached by the serpent, and, and the serpent Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden except from the fruit from the tree which is in the, is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. The enemy has a purpose and he has a plan. And one of the things that I think he wants to do is thwart us in, in using our hands for God. Yes, he works through our minds, but he also works through our hands. The serpent lied to Eve. She ate, Adam ate, and the fruit from the fruit of the tree. And then God had to make them garments and clothes them. And the relationship with him was broken because of of sin and disobedience. In Genesis 3.22 it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become like one of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life as well, and eat its fruit, and live in this fallen, sinful condition forever. And so here we have a a man who was given one command because of disobedience and sin, created from every man everywhere else that there was a separation from God. And it didn't take long for the hand to start to play and I'm not going to read you, lead you through the whole te- Old Testament and where the hand goes from here. But I'll just show you how quickly that sin moves. It didn't take Cain very long with his hand to kill Abel. And then God knew that he wanted to keep man out of heaven because of, um, of that he would have, be in his fallen sinful condition forever. And that was Satan's plan. Satan's plan was that he would have man in a fallen state forever. God's plan for you and for me is that we would live in glory, that we would live in victory, that we would have power, that we would have strength, that we would be able to magnify the, and, and the, our Lord Jesus Christ with what we do in our life. Because God's, of God's perfect, because of the sin, God had to create a sacrifice. And so he, through the time... Until the time when he sent, in the fullness of time, he sent forth Jesus Christ, his son, he, to die on the cross for our sins. David said this: uh, When I kept silent about my sin, my body washed away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand of displeasure was heavy upon me. My energy, vitality, strength was drained away, with a burning like the burning. Heat of sun. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not hide my wickedness. I said, I will confess all my transgressions to the Lord, and you will forgive the guilt of my sin. God made a way for each one of us in our sinfulness to be able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with him, with the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. <clears throat> the second reason God has his hand upon you is because uh, he has a purpose for your life. The purpose, the, That purpose is to do his will and to fulfill his calling in your life. Two weeks after I became a Christian, I was asked by Nick DeBruff to read Isaiah 61, 1-3. At that time, I didn't realize the significance of that verse because of just being a brand new Christian. But that that scripture became one of the bases of the ministry of working with, with people that are hurting that God has given to me. And even at times when I have questioned, Lord, are you really wanting me to be where I am in working with people? I remember one time uh, just a, f- uh, a few months back where I was feeling really low, and I was really questioning what was going on, and really seeking God's path. And I woke up in the middle of the night, it was probably 3, 3.30 in the morning, and I, I just had this burden to, I, I wasn't settled in my spirit, and I, and I said, Lord, I need something from you, will you feed me? And so I opened up God's word, I reached, the, my Bible was right by my bed on the floor where I, I put it down after I read it before I fell asleep, and uh, and I picked it up, and as I picked it up, the, I, I didn't catch all of the, the, my Bible. It had opened up to a page. And so, I curiosity, I, opened, I looked at the page, it was Psalm 61, and I read 1 to 3. And God confirmed for me that, that his purpose and his plan for me was still in play. What is God's purpose for your life? What are you doing for him? Where's his life with you? Some Christians get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they don't ever realize fully the reason God called them and don't exercise the gifts and the infilling of the Spirit. They get comfortable and never step out of dis- to discover what God's purpose and plan is for them. One purpose that God has for you for you is to use your hands for him. And I love praying for people. When I when I have clients that are hurting, uh, one of the things that I I can do, and I like doing, if it's okay with my client, and that is, is to pray for them by laying hands on them. There's a, there's a comfort that goes into a person when we lay hands on them and we pray for them. You can use your hands every day by holding somebody else's hand and letting them hold yours. There's seven reasons you want to hold hands. And I don't know how often you hold hands, but it is a, an exercise, an, act, an activity we see quite a bit. Holding hands triggers a chemical reaction in your, your mind that makes you feel loved, happy cared for, and respected. Just that little act of holding hands with somebody tells you that you're loved, you can be happy, you feel cared for, and you feel respected. It's usually the initial physical contact to reveal the positive intentions and establish some intimacy and trust. So holding hands builds intimacy and trust. Holding hands is a fundamental way that you can positively impact a life. Holding hands, number, the one, number one reason we want to hold hands is because it's a great stress reliever. Any of you ever been in stress, experienced stress in your life? Holding hands decreases the level of stress hormone called cortisol. Even the touch of a friend or a teammate can make you feel more content, connected, and better about, feel better about yourself. The second reason for holding hands is it boosts love and bonding. Oxytocin is a hormone behind this benefit. Oxytocin uh, strengthens empathy and communication between partners in a relationship. Holding hands with your partner will improve your relationship and create a bond that makes you feel happier and more loved. Kissing also releases oxytocin. Um, and so those two things together creates a relationship. It creates a closeness between a, a man and a woman. Holding hands impacts your heart. Bes- besides relieving stress, holding hands with your partner lowers your blood pressure and help, helps your heart. The fourth reason for holding hands is to relieve pain. While enduring pain uh, humans have a natural reflex to tighten their muscles. It's always easier to endure pain when you're holding the hands of a soulmate. The fifth reason for holding hands is it fights fear. Remember the scary adrenaline scene in the last action pack or horror movie you took your partner to? I think this is one reason why guys, when they go for dates, they like to take their dates to a scary movie or a, a thriller and stuff like that because they know that their date is going to reach over and grab their hand, and so then the man doesn't have to, the boy doesn't have to make the first move, because the girl has already done it. But he's orchestrated the whole thing. But um, it's it's an intuitive way that we fight off new nerves in our life. Holding hands, the sixth thing that benefit is holding hands provides a sense of security. Simple holding hands is a source of safety and comfort for young children. Insecurity disappears when you hold hands and and allows you to conquer obstacles because you're you're with somebody. You have a companion. I know one of the things that I I do for couples that, that are not communicating with themselves is I have them sit knee to knee and holding hands so that they can be close to each other. And it's a very intimate way of talking to each other by holding hands. But because it provides a sense of security, I think it's one of the safest ways that couples can communicate with each other, especially over tricky things that they have to encounter in their lives. Sitting there holding hands and staring at each other in the eyes and sitting knee to knee and being able to be safe within that environment. The security that parents provide for their children by holding hands shapes their children's behavior and the way they think. So holding hands with your children. And sometimes you know that our children's... Uh, uh, I remember Joel, who's sitting over here. I know he, he doesn't like always me telling Joel, Joel stories, but anyways. Um, I remember one day we we're, were up in the 100-mile house, and he ran up to me and he put his hand in my hand. And, um, and, and we were walking to him through a new environment for him. It wasn't a big store or anything like that, but, but he ran up and he initiated holding hands because there was a sense of security that was there. And for our children, we create that. And also, from a parent's point of view, we feel safer when our children are within our grasp. And we're constantly aware. The seventh reason for holding hands is just plain comfortable. And everybody loves comfort. The sensation of holding hands often provides a comfy feeling while making you walk with a loved one. It bonds us. It provides lovely sensations and gives us quality time with people we care about. The next insight that the psalmist tells us is in Psalm 139 that says, His hands will lead you. It's an act of surrender to let someone lead you and that's probably one of the hardest things that it is for us as individuals is to is to um, is to surrender you've experienced what it's like to let to be led by someone not really know, wanting to really wanting to go and maybe you've experienced the resistance when someone didn't want to be led and and it's hard sometimes I, um, I I know that I don't always want to um, tip where we're going or what we're going to do or what's the end result. And and I do that because I I want to creep that expectation up. But I also do it because <clears throat> there's times in our life when God calls us and takes us somewhere where we don't know where we're going. We could be a pla- in a place in our life where where we're just not sure where are we going next, what's happening next, what's on the horizon. We can make plans, we can decide what we're going to do or not to do, but the thing is, is that there's a place where we need to just trust God, trust the process, trust what's going on. And if we always know what's going to happen, if we always know what the end is, it doesn't build the trust that we need to have and the dependency that we can have. And what are the reasons that people don't want to be led? It's the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, a lack of trust, insecurity, the need to be in control, disobedience. Being asked to go somewhere or to do something and not knowing the reason or direction can be very intimidating and nerve-wracking. I experienced that last year. Uh, I was challenged uh, to go into the mall and walk through the mall and find somebody to pray for. And so we went in the mall, um, Lohed Mall, and uh, we prayed before. And Lord, you know what we're going to do today. And you know somebody who needs to be prayed for today. So I was walking through the mall and I, Lord, who is this person that you want me to pray for? Walk the lower part of the mall and Nothing, nothing. I even, I walked by this little area, this little seated area. And I looked at the people and I thought, oh, maybe there's somebody in here that needs to be prayed for. And I kept on moving. I didn't have any prompting by the Holy Spirit. No leading at all. I started to climb the stairs and I got to the top. And I looked down and sitting, uh, there was this man, two men, sitting in a chair. And the, it, they were sitting under the skylight. And the sun was beaming through the skylight, and it just seemed to be hitting on these two men. So I kind of took that as a sign. So I climbed back down the stairs with my friend, and I said, I think we have the person that God wants us to pray for. And I started. I went up to the man, and I said, my name is Bob Trainer, and um, I'm here to pray for you. What would you like me to pray about? Who are you? What's this about? So I tell him my story. And the other man sitting beside him, an older gen- elderly gentleman, um, he um, he was really curious. So my friend started talking to him. And, and so I said, um, I'm here to pray for you. Is there anything that you would like me to pray for? And so he said, I can't believe that people would just come to a mall to want to pray for somebody. And I said, well, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And he He has a purpose and a plan for your life and he wants me to pray for you today. What can I pray for you? And he gave me his prayer request. While this was going on, my friend over here was praying with this gentleman. And then we stopped our prayer and we introduced ourselves to the people that we... I introduced myself to this gentleman over here. And he says, I feel so good this is the first time anybody's ever prayed for me. And he says, I feel a difference inside. He says, I was feeling sick today. And, and when he prayed, the sickness, the heaviness, the congestion went away. A few minutes later, a lady comes towards him and he walks towards this lady. And it's his daughter. And he says, come meet these gentlemen. They've prayed for us today. And, and, and so we found out a little bit. He, he was a Muslim man. And, and he had never had a Christian pray for him before. And he says to his daughter, he says, these people, they prayed for us. They prayed for me. And I'm healed. You know how sick I was this morning. And now I am healed. We went our way. And we went our way rejoicing. And God puts a prompting on your heart to go pray for somebody, to be with somebody. But we need to be willing to go. We need to be willing to put away the intimidation packer and the nerve-wrackingness that can come about sometimes and let God work in our life. God's desire is for you to be led by the Spirit. If you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, you need to let go and say, Yes, Lord. Yesterday when I was working on my talk and I was thinking about things and I was stuck, I just kept saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the the ease that is there. Say it right now with me. Yes, Lord. No, louder. Yes, Lord. Say it again. "Yes, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What do you need to say yes to in your life? What do you need to say yes to God for? What are you saying no to? What are you holding back? God wants to use you. He wants to use your hands. He wants to use your mind. He wants to use your heart. He wants to use you to show people that he is alive, that he cares about people. Raise your hand and surrender. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Too often we're sitting on our hands. Too often we're sitting on our blessed assurance. And we're not raising our hands and surrender and saying yes, Lord. I'm told in the war that sometimes the prisoners, when they were when they had to surrender, they were running to their their new captors with their hands in their hands up, and saying, "I surrender, I surrender." And as soon as they found their captors, they hugged them because they were safe. At least they were going to a prison and not going to a. a a hospital with a bullet wound or in a, or in board with a bullet hole in themselves. And they, they, re, they surrendered, surrendering to God. When we sing these praise songs and we, 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 we see God is holy. We sing, holy, holy is the Lord. Our hands should be raised in surrender to him. As you open your heart and you raise your hands to him, then you're opening up your heart You're opening up your mind. You're opening up your spirit so that he can work within you. The following are eight different ways that the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. He bears witness. It's an inner knowing. You know what you know. You know what you know. And the Spirit uses the word of God. The Spirit uses leadings. The Spirit puts a check in your spirit. The spirit uses a quickening. The spirit uses vision. The spirit uses dreams. The spirit uses prophecies. When you really study each of the eight ways that the Holy Spirit will use to communicate to you, you will find every single one of these eight leadings is a supernatural type of communication. God wants to communicate to you. God wants to do supernatural things through you. God wants to use your hands and do supernatural things through them. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your personal guide and teacher. The third thing the psalmist says in Psalm 39 is his right hand will take hold of you. The right hand is the place of power, authority, and strength. When we pray, it is important that you understand that it's God's power, it's God's authority and His strength. Therefore, your requests will be held firmly in His right hand. Everything that you pray about. I have prayer requests that I still do not have answered. When I had the school downstairs with the delinquent kids, and... And I, the government came to me and said, Bob, we'll give you $500,000 that you can work in your school and and work the programs you were because of the effectiveness that we were having with the kids that God brought into our school that we started here at Southern and, um, and I was praying about it. And I went, I was driving down the cut here, and um, there was a, it wasn't a voice, but it was a, it was um, an inner witness in my spirit. And f- wh- what I want you to do now is listen to these eight things happening in, um, in the preceding part of our talk here. But it said, no, don't take the grant. And I, and I kind of wrestled with that because it's free money and there was no strings attached and blah, blah, blah. And the Holy Spirit seemed to quicken in my spirit again. No, do not take the money. So I went back to the government officials and I said, no, I'm not taking the money. Within a few months, the government pulled in all of the grants that they had given out. And at that time, there was a lot of Christian organizations that were dependent upon government grants to get their ministries going. And some of the ministries had to go down the tube or uh, cut their ministries out because they didn't have the money. They built the program dependent on some money instead of being dependent on God. God is our source. Not our jobs, not our government. God is our source. Do you know that if, if, if every church in in North America was to take three families and take those three families and look after their welfare needs, people three families that are on welfare today, if the churches local church would take three families and look after that need that we wouldn't have anybody on welfare? But the church, what are we doing? Where are we where are we working? Where are we allowing the God's hand to work in our life? What authority does he want to have? It's your strength and your ability that is that is about your self confidence and arrogance that we don't see God's work. In Isaiah 10, it says, So when the Lord was completed, when the Lord had completed all his work of judgment on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit, the thoughts, the declarations, and the actions of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the haughtiness of his pride. For the Assyrian king has said, I have done this by the power of my own hand, and by my own wisdom. For I have understanding and skill. I have removed the boundaries of the people, and I have plundered their treasures. Like a bull, I have brought down those who sat on thrones. And there are some times we, we may not be doing all the things of the Assyrian king, but there are times when we are more concerned about our own abilities and our own wisdom and our own understanding, and our own skills, that we we remove boundaries from people. Do you know that God has set a boundary around every single one of us? And yet, there are people in leadership who will remove boundaries, who will take um, that boundary that God has set up. There are, there are times when we are so used to doing things one way that we can't um, get... Um, our minds open to doing something different. That maybe God is going to do something different in our lives. Maybe there's a different way that he will do it. Maybe there's a different way of expression, a different way of making things happen. Jesus demonstrated the authority of his right hand of the Father. He he had the authority over the sea, over the wind, over demons and sickness. In Mark chapter 1, he says, In verse 30, we see the story of uh, Simon's mother-in-law. She was lying sick with a fever. And Jesus, taking her hand, raised her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve. When you people see the hand of God working, they begin to serve. If there's no movement of God's hand in in a congregation, if there's no movement of God in a congregation then there is a, a lack of serving. The more vibrancy that we see in a church and and God's work hand working, the more we want to serve him. The more we're excited to be out there, to be on the line. In Mark one forty, it says, Jesus, um, the man with the leopard, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. This here was the scripture that helped me come to faith. Because in my world, My world was hurting people. My world was beating on people. My world was not to be in love. My world was not um, to be in a caring situation. But when I read this, that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. And the leopard left left him immediately, and he was cleansed completely, healed, and restored to health. Because God, to me, in this picture here, in this verse, the personalness of God, that he could have just gone by and he could have genuflected, he could have made a little sign, he could have said, come on, come forward, whatever he wanted to do. But he cared enough. He cared enough to go out and, and touch somebody. And do you, will you allow... The Lord to touch you with His hand today. Will you see that whatever is a struggle in your life, if you let go of it with your hands and put it in God's hand, that He can do something totally different than you can imagine? It hasn't even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has planned for Him. We need to get out of our own way at times as a Christian. We need to get out of our way so that the Holy Spirit can work in our lives. If we think we can do it, why do we need God? Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know a solution. I call myself a counselor, but I am not a counselor. There is only one counselor. But I am willing to be used by the counselor to reach people who need help. Jesus used his, um, in the story of John 14, uh, John eleven forty four when he was dealing with Lazarus, he said, uh, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands, his feet tightly wrapped in burial cloth, linen strips, and with burial cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. He did the work, and he said to the disciples, now you go be my hands. You go out and unwrap him. But what a picture that we have here. Here, Lazarus, he's dead. He comes out of the grave. He's bound up. He's even got the burial cloth on his head still. So I don't know how he came out. It probably was like this. I don't know. Maybe his hands were here like this, coming out of the tomb, and he can't see. Maybe he hit the rock. I don't know what he did. But he's standing there, probably weak because his knees have been dead for two days. And then Jesus says, James. John you two come and unwrap his cloth and set him free. When Jesus was dead, he was in the tomb for three days. He didn't need anybody to come and unwrap him. He took the burial cloth and he folded it. And we're told he folded it. In the Jewish religion, when the cloth is folded, means that he's coming back again. It's a symbol that he's coming back. And so when they went into that tomb and they saw all the, all the grave cloth, all, all in a pile, and the face cloth folded, they knew he was coming back again. They knew that he was going to be a part of their lives. In my life group, Uh, The life group that I go to. It's not my life group. I go to a life group. And uh, I have a friend in there. I've gotten to know him. His name is Mike. And Mike uh, was in uh, the Philippines and just got back a couple of weeks ago. And down there, he did some crusades. And he he was praying for um, a young girl. And he was praying because the young girl was deaf. And he had his hands on her head and he was praying for her to be healed. And nothing was happening. And he said, Lord, what's going on? Why isn't this girl being healed? And he says, she's not healed because she doesn't have an eardrum. Pray for an eardrum. And he prayed for an eardrum. And the little girl started to hear. A little six-year-old girl who had never heard before. Heard from the first time. Because somebody was willing to be used and their hands to be used. To be in a place where you will be upheld by God's right hand, you need to submit to him, listen to him, and to be obedient to him. Jesus showed you that by being obedient unto death. The first Adam was disobedient. The second Adam, Jesus, was obedient. In Isaiah 53, it says, But in fact, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows and our pains. Yet we, ignorantly, ignorantly assume that he was stricken, struck down by God, and degraded and humiliated by him. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin." our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, to fall on him instead of us. Instead of us. It was on Jesus, all on Jesus, so that we can have a relationship with him, that we can follow him. And let's look at what he says here. But in fact, he has borne our griefs. Is anyone here grieving? Is anyone grieving? Have you lost something? Are you in the process of losing something? Have you lost a position, a job, a relationship, a loved one, a spouse, some health? Are you grieving? He bore your grief. He has carried our sorrows and our pain. Is there anybody sorrowing, anybody in pain of any kind today? By his stripes, We are healed. Does anyone need healing today? It's with his stripes. Those 39 lashes on his back. With that whip and those bones and those rocks and the glass that tore away his skin was for your healing. Do you think that God, who who did not spare his son, but allowed his son, to be whipped and beaten so that his his very skin would be ripped apart from him and that it's with his stripes we are healed where are we praying for healing for people where are we using our hands laying our hands on people and praying for their healing and then he says is But the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdo, to fall on him instead of of us. Anyone needing forgiveness this morning? Or salvation? Or recommitment to living a full-out life for Jesus? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, this morning, today, right now, is your time. God's knocking on the door of your heart wanting to come in and have a relationship with you. And all you need to do is ask him to come in, to forgive you of your sins, to come in to be the Savior and Lord of your life, and let him do the work that he wants to do in your life. Have you committed something? Are you fighting with a a sin or a, a wrongdoing that you've done and you don't feel that God has forgiven you? Well, he has forgiven you. It's the enemy who doesn't want you to believe that you are set free. That there is nothing, nothing that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. One day, you will stand before the Lord. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, fulfilled the purpose and plan he has set before you, Ministered where he has led you. And you've known what it's like to be in the palm of his right hand. You will stand before him and receive the crown of righteousness from Jesus, the King of King and Lord of Lords. The thing that you will notice as he places that crown on your head is the two nail-print hands that paid for your right to be in heaven. And what will it be like for us going through all that we've done, all we've experienced, and knowing that we could do more for Jesus and here, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords taking this crown as you kneel before him, those, those nail-print scars still in his hand as he places that crown on your head. And, he say, and the voice saying, Enter thou good and faithful servant. There's an old hymn that says this, By and by when he holds out his hands, marvelous hands, welcoming hands, By and by when he holds out his hands, I wish I had given him more. More, so much more. More of my heart than I ever gave before. By and by when I look on his hands, I wish I had given him more. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you have struggles in your life. I think if you're human, you have struggles in your life. And I will be here and I would like to pray for you if there's anything I can pray for for you. And if you don't want me to pray for you, we have a prayer prayer in the back here and there'll be people there that will be praying, happy to pray for you. If you have a burden, if you have a pain, if you have a sorrow, if you have a grief, don't leave and not have it healed. Don't leave and... and Carry it again with you and take it with you another week, another day, another moment when you can put it here and leave it here and have it healed and be restored and be new again. Give him all. I think, according to this, we have a song. Okay? All right. Um, Father, we just want to thank you for loving us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for Sutherland. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you, Father, that, that you are going to do great things through this church. I thank you that you're with Pastor Todd right now, while he's uh, in, in Arizona. Be with him today. Comfort him. And, and may he find rest in you. May he find um, a, a newness, an aliveness within his spirit. May he see things in scriptures. May his eyes be open. May his mind be illuminated so that when he has been restored and refreshed, that he comes back and he's able to feed the flock that you Have brought to him. And Father, we want this church to be a witness, a light into this community. And Father, I ask that you would lead the elders as they give direction, as they give um, impetus to where this church is going to go. May they be filled with your wisdom, with your power, and your might. May they have knowledge and understanding and discernment. May they be new and refreshed. That they would see things and believe things. That they would be examples of what it is to be a Christian man or woman and lead. And Father, I just pray for anybody here this morning that is is struggling. No matter what the struggle is, I ask that you would meet them at that point of struggle. That they would have a, a fresh impetus from you tonight that you would touch them with your hand, that you will lead them, and that your right hand would restore them. I thank you for doing this, because we ask in Jesus' name, and for his honor and glory. Amen.